This podcast episode was supposed to come out last week, but my allergies said, not today, buddy. I had really bad allergies last week is what I'm trying to say. You know what else is really bad? These iPads. Welcome back to another episode of the Collard Tech Directory podcast. It is episode 17, which may not seem like a huge deal to you, but I haven't released an episode in a while, and 17's a pretty big number, so I'm kind of celebrating a bit, but you don't have to. I don't really care. But in today's episode, we are talking about the new iPads. And while I may not care if you think episode 17 is a huge deal, I do care what you think about these iPads. And specifically, I care that you think they are bad. Because they are bad, you should think they are bad. No other opinion will be accepted here. So if you like the new iPads, you can go home, I guess. I don't know. Where do you live? Who knows? So we're going to start off with the Apple TV, which is actually a genuinely good product, unlike the iPads. I should preface this by saying these products were not released at an event, but rather during a site refresh, which Apple has done quite frequently, particularly over the past two years over the pandemic, when Apple wasn't able to have events, Apple would release things as site refreshes, as press releases on their website. So this is another one of those cases. Now, Apple has been getting back into the swing of having events and WWDC and the September event that happened in June and then obviously in September did have an in-person component to them. So we're sort of getting back to that event sort of thing. So now Apple is once again starting to reserve press releases and site refreshes for more small, less monumental, and more importantly, not very good updates. So we'll start with the Apple TV, which is probably the best of the free updates. The other two are bad, as I've said many times already. So the new Apple TV has the A15 chip, which we've seen across a bunch of different products over the past year and change. The iPhone 13, iPhone 13 Pro, iPhone 14, iPad mini, and a bunch of other products. So the Apple TV is also getting the A15, which compared to the A12 that the Apple TV previously had is a fairly noticeable improvement, which is really nice to see. Thank you, Apple, for that. And it also increases the RAM from three gigabytes to four gigabytes, which isn't as huge of a deal by any means, but it's still nice to see. There's also a new 128 gigabyte storage option compared to the previous cap of 64 gigabytes, which is nice to see. However, how much are you really storing on your Apple TV? We have a bunch of different streaming services now, which rather than paying for specific TV shows and movies and storing them locally on your device, you can just pay a monthly fee for various streaming services to get access to a wider selection of content that you stream rather than downloading and permanently storing on your device. So why do you need that much storage? I guess not everyone pays for a bunch of different streaming services. Maybe you want one specific show that you want to like download and have forever, but you don't want to pay monthly for that with a streaming service. That I sort of understand, but I don't really see the point in that much storage. But it's there if you want it, I suppose. I'm not complaining that there's more storage. I just personally don't see how you would fill up 
that much. The new Apple TV also has HDR10 plus support, which is good if you want things you're watching to look a bit better. I don't personally know how noticeable that's going to be, but I suppose in the future, a lot of movies and TV shows may adopt that standard. So it's good to have that compatibility built in now so that in the future with better monitors and things like that that can really showcase that better video and picture quality did that make any sense it's good to support things for the future so that if tvs get better and can really display that good quality you can see it the siri remote on the new apple tv also has usb-c instead of lightning this is really exciting, not only because USB-C is much better than Lightning, this also indicates to us the fact that Apple is planning a transition from Lightning to USB-C on their devices, notably the iPhone. One of the main reasons for that is the EU has just issued a mandate that by, I think it's 2024, all devices that have a port need to use USB-C in order to prevent e-waste and simplify charging standards. So that makes sense. That's really good. I'm glad they chose USB-C because USB-C is a really great port, not only because it's reversible and has high transfer speeds, it also leaves room for the future to add additional connectivity and better speeds and things like that with Thunderbolt and all of that without having to change the size of the port. So it's really universal and will be used for a long time and it's just really convenient. And I would say a good 75% of the devices out there that have a port are using USB-C in some capacity. If you think back to like 15 or 20 years ago, you know that USB was really widely adopted and used, and it still is today. USB-C is that next step. USB-C is where everything is going, where everything is shifting, and the EU wants to make everything easier for everybody by having one singular charging standard. That's not me sharing my opinion on the EU mandating that and making that a requirement. This isn't me saying, yes, they should be telling people what charging standards they should be using, but I do think that USB-C should be a charging standard across a bunch of different products, across all products, to just make things easier for everybody. And USB-C is just a better port in general, especially compared to Lightning. So I'm really glad that Apple is not going to fight this. And Apple also said in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Obviously, we'll have to comply. We have no choice, as, as we do around the world, to comply to... Uh, local laws. Greg Joswiak said this in the interview that they're not necessarily planning on resisting this, at least that's what it seems. That is interesting to see, and the fact that the Apple TV remote now has USB-C further indicates that Apple is in fact going to be transitioning all of their Lightning products and accessories to use USB-C. The Apple TV also has a thinner and lighter design, which means it is smaller and weighs less and takes up less space, which is good, I guess, if you don't like how big your Apple TV is. They're really not that big. And I suppose Apple found a way to condense the components even further into a smaller footprint, and it wouldn't necessarily make sense to keep the same box size and have a bunch of empty space inside it when they could easily make a smaller box to fit it better. However, 
that's exactly what they did with the Mac Mini. The M1 in the Mac Mini takes up way less space compared to the previous Intel processors, yet the Mac Mini is still the same size, which means that there's a bunch of empty space inside there. However, the Mac Mini is much more powerful than the Apple TV, so I suppose it makes sense from a cooling standpoint. In other news for external changes to the Apple TV, there is no longer TV branding on the Apple TV box. So instead of it saying Apple TV, it simply has the Apple logo, which I suppose makes things a bit more simple and cuts down slightly on production costs so that you don't have to engrave three things into the box, instead just one Apple logo. So I guess that is how they are saving money and they must be saving money in other ways as well because it starts at $129 for 64 gigabytes of storage. So not only has the price gone down by $50 from $179 to $129, it also starts with double the amount of storage from the previous model. It now starts at 64 gigabytes of storage, whereas the previous model started at 32 gigabytes of storage. One thing that could be seen as controversial with the Apple TV is that there's no longer a cable included in the box to charge the Siri remote. Instead, you have to buy one separately, which I suppose isn't that big of a deal because there are a ton of USB-C cables out there, but also any previous Apple TV will not have a USB-C cable, it will have a lightning cable. So if you do need to buy one, it is $19. So with the price of the TV and the price of the cable, if you do need it, that is still less than the price of the previous Apple TV. So I see that as a win still. You can pre-order it now and it will begin shipping this Friday, November 4th. M2 iPad Pro. Why does this exist? Why is this a thing? Basically, everything is the same. The same design, same displays, same cameras, basically same everything, same colors. The headlining feature, if you can even call it that, is the fact that the new M2 iPad Pro has the M2 chip instead of the M1 chip, which the iPad does not need. The iPad does not need the M2 chip. The iPad didn't need the M1 chip. The iPad arguably didn't need the A12Z chip or even the A12X chip for what an iPad can do, which is not much. The iPad can't really do much in 2022, nor could it in previous years. The iPad is great for tablet tasks, for taking notes with the Apple Pencil, for doing some light browsing of the web, and some light photo editing, and things like that. It's not meant for professional workflows. And the reason it's not is because it doesn't have the software necessary for those workflows. So why does the iPad Pro have a chip that is just as powerful as a Mac that costs $1,000 when it can't even run Final Cut Pro? That makes no sense to me. Now, if you were to buy a 12.9-inch iPad Pro and buy a keyboard case, it costs well above the price of a MacBook Air with the same chip. But the MacBook Air is so much better. You may be losing out on the touchscreen or the Apple Pencil support, but you're gaining macOS, which is literally the gateway into any professional workflow that you need to do. It's the only operating system from Apple that can handle those tasks and can support those tasks. But the iPad 
has iPadOS, which is not functional in any way. They added Stage Manager, which is okay, but it doesn't really allow you to do more with your iPad. It's just another slight difference in how you organize your applications that you're using. So that's my rant on the iPad. I'm sure you've heard me talk about that plenty of times before, how the iPad has way too much overkill hardware and way too little software, and that the balance really just isn't there. I will end that discussion for now. There is so much more I could say about that, but let's get into the M2 iPad Pro specifically, which is kind of sad, actually, with how little features it has. Number one on the list of disappointing things with the M2 iPad Pro. It can record ProRes video, which is fun, but also the thing that makes this annoying is that it's not supported in the native camera app. So while the iPad Pro camera can record ProRes video, it can't record it natively. You need to download some sort of third-party app in order to do it. And Apple seems to love third-party apps on the iPad. That's how they responded in the interview with the Wall Street Journal when asked why the iPad doesn't have a calculator app. There are tons of them. Go to the App Store. They just said, get a third-party app. Most of the third-party calculator apps either have a bunch of ads or you have to pay to download them. One kind of cool feature with the M2 iPad Pro is Apple Pencil Hover, which basically allows the Apple Pencil to be detected up to 12 millimeters away from the iPad's display so that when you come close to it, it can sense that it's near and show where your mark would go on the display before you actually make it, which is kind of useful, but also, why is that exclusive to the M2 iPad Pro? In my opinion, other iPad models could easily be able to do that. Apple claims that you need like the magnetic force or whatever in order to use the Apple Pencil Hover feature that only the M2 iPad Pro can provide, but there is absolutely no reason to buy the M2 iPad Pro just for that feature. Moving on, the 11-inch model of the iPad Pro still doesn't have mini-LED, a year later after the 12.9-inch model got mini-LED. Supposedly, the reason for restricting the mini-LED display to the 12.9-inch iPad Pro was that there were a lot of constraints related to making the mini-LED displays, and Apple just couldn't make enough of them to bring it to both sizes of the iPad Pro. But you would think a year later they would have tried and been able to fix that, but apparently not. So overall, the iPad Pro really isn't that exciting. If you want a Pro iPad, just get the iPad Air. It has all of the features that you need in an iPad. For the 11-inch size, it's a perfect combination of features, and it only starts at $599 compared to the outrageous $799 and $1099 prices of the M2 iPad Pro. You could either get the current iPad Air or even a refurbished iPad Air or refurbished iPad Pro from 2018. All of those iPads can still deliver amazing performance for what an iPad can do. Let's move on, shall we, to the iPad 10. This is an abomination of a product. I don't understand why it exists. It doesn't replace anything in the lineup. It costs more than the previous budget iPad, and it's just an overall 
bad product. So let's dive in to this dumpster of an iPad, shall we? It basically takes most of its design cues from the iPad Air. It has the squared off design, just like the iPad Air. It has the 10.9 inch display, just like the iPad Air. It has Touch ID and the power button, just like the iPad Air, and it has USB-C. But the USB-C port is slower than the iPad Air. Crazy. You couldn't have even given it the full speed USB-C port. That's sad, Apple, come on. So it's basically the iPad Air just worse. But that's only the design of this new iPad, which really isn't the worst part. It's actually one of the better parts of this iPad. The other parts are actually genuinely not good. That was actually a really bad segue because the next thing on my list is the single decent thing about this iPad, which is the fact that the front-facing camera is now on the landscape side. So when you hold it in landscape, it's at the top instead of being awkwardly at the side, which makes video calls so much easier and doesn't make it look like you're staring off into space away from the camera. It makes it look like you're actually looking towards the camera, which is really nice to see. But what boggles my mind about this landscape camera is that you can only get it on the iPad 10. You can't get it on the iPad Air or the iPad mini, which I guess makes sense because those haven't been updated. But the iPad Pro, which has literally been updated at the exact same time, also doesn't have the landscape front-facing camera. The one excuse I have heard for the iPad Pro not getting this feature is that the Apple Pencil docks on the iPad in the exact same place that the camera would end up being. So there isn't enough room for both the camera sensors for the front-facing camera and the hardware that allows Apple Pencil to work to be in the same place. The iPad 10 also has a slightly better rear camera, but who's really gonna use it? Who takes video on their iPad that regularly that they need a really good camera on their iPad? I just had to get up to reposition the camera because I kicked it like an idiot. Now let's talk about the Magic Keyboard Folio on the iPad 10. It costs $250, which is absolutely ridiculous for a keyboard, and it's the only keyboard that the iPad 10 can use, and vice versa. The Magic Keyboard Folio can only be used with the iPad 10 and cannot be used with any other iPad. Thank you, Apple, once again for your kindness. We truly appreciate it. The Magic Keyboard Folio does have function keys, and it's the only keyboard with function keys. So in order to get a keyboard with function keys, you have to get the iPad 10, which is absolutely ridiculous. If you have to make the Magic Keyboard Folio exclusive to the iPad 10, at least give the regular Magic Keyboard, which is compatible with way more iPads, at least give that function keys so that those are on the same level. This is now the second example of Apple giving exclusive features to the far inferior iPad 10 for absolutely no reason. Now let's talk about Apple Pencil on iPad 10. This is by far the worst thing about the iPad 10. Because the iPad 10 has the new design with squared off edges from the iPad Air and iPad Pro, it would have made the most sense for Apple to bring Apple Pencil to support to the iPad 10, as that is the Apple Pencil that has been compatible with every single iPad to adopt the newer design. However, the iPad 10 still only supports the Apple Pencil 1. You cannot use the Apple Pencil 2 on the iPad 10, only the Apple Pencil 1. And 
the Apple Pencil 1 still has lightning. So to charge it, you need a dongle. That's right, the only Apple Pencil that is compatible with the iPad 10 needs a dongle in order to charge it. That is the single most ridiculous thing that I have seen Apple ever do with any model of iPad. Since the Apple Pencil 1 has lightning and the iPad 10 has USB-C, you cannot directly plug the Apple Pencil into the iPad 10 in order to charge. You have to use a dongle and the cable that comes with your iPad to charge your Apple Pencil. So for that reason, and for a bunch of the other reasons I've talked about, you should not buy the iPad 10 under any circumstance. If you want an iPad with a newer design, buy the iPad Air or find an iPad Air or iPad Pro refurbished from Apple. It will be so much more worth it compared to the iPad 10. And if you want a cheap iPad, don't buy the iPad 10 either. Buy the iPad 9. Apple is still selling the iPad 9 for the same price. And one last reason not to buy the iPad 10, the price went up by $120. So now it starts at $449 compared to $399 for all previous models of the budget iPad. And Apple is even still selling the iPad 9 for the same $329 price point. So you can basically pretend that the iPad 10 doesn't exist. And if you want an iPad with a newer design, buy the iPad Air. If you want a cheap budget model of the iPad, buy the iPad 9. Do not buy the iPad 10. If you buy the iPad 10, I will be more mad than I would have been a year ago if you bought the Apple Watch Series free. Remember how I was making a big deal about that, that you shouldn't buy the Apple Watch Series free? If you buy the iPad 10, I will be more mad than that. So do not buy it under any circumstance. If you do, I will be really mad. I still can't do anything about it. I once again kicked it with my stupid feet. Alongside the fairly decent Apple TV, absolutely pointless M2 iPad Pro, and no good, terrible, very bad iPad 10, Apple also announced that macOS Ventura and iPadOS 16 would be released October 24th, which already happened last week. So all of those operating systems are now out, which is really exciting. So you can go ahead and download them and have fun with all of the new features. I talked about the new features in my video recapping WWDC. And when I say new features, I'm specifically referring to macOS Ventura because besides a weather app, there's really nothing that iPadOS 16 adds that is genuinely useful. That was a fairly underwhelming site refresh. So the fact that it was a site refresh makes a lot of sense, but it does leave the question, what else is coming this year? Some people were predicting that Apple would also release new Macs alongside these iPads and the Apple TV, but of course that did not happen, which I think makes sense because the Macs would probably be a lot more exciting and would deserve stage time rather than a site refresh. So could Apple have a November event to release some of the new Macs that we're expecting? Very possibly. So. Here are some of the details on the possible November event. One of the most exciting things would be new MacBook Pros with M2 Pro and M2 Max chips. We may only see the M2 Pro versions of the MacBook Pros and the M2 Max versions might come later just because the M2 Max 
might not be ready just yet, but we'll at least see the MacBook Pro gain the M2 Pro chip. And we could also see a refreshed version of the Mac Mini with an M2 Pro chip and the regular M2 chip as well. There are some people speculating that we may see the Mac Pro announced or teased at a November event as well, but I really don't think that is likely, especially because the Mac Pro is much more likely to gain a version of the M3 rather than a version of the M2 because the M3 is going to move to the free nanometer architecture, which will allow for much improved performance compared to the M2 generation. So it would make more sense for Apple to release the Mac Pro with the M3 generation so that it can offer significant performance improvements compared to the M2. So the M3 generation is quite a bit a ways away, especially because we only started the M2 generation back in June, so I wouldn't expect to see any sort of announcement or tease for the new Mac Pro anytime soon. But the MacBook Pros and Mac Mini that we are expecting to see in November would make much more sense as an event rather than a site refresh, which is likely why we didn't see them this month. But also, I would have much rather Apple release new Macs instead of new iPads this month. Don't tell anybody I said that. So that is it for this episode of the Collard Tech Directory podcast. It was quite an interesting one. It was also quite a hard one to get through because my allergies are still here and I still feel quite tired from them. My talking and speaking voice wasn't as good as it usually is. I just realized that talking and speaking are basically the exact same thing, so I just said the same thing twice. I clearly am losing my mind. If you are losing your mind as well, or you just want to see new videos that I release on the channel, make sure you subscribe. I hope you enjoyed this video. I certainly enjoyed making it, and I will see you in the next one. Bye!